put a spell on you. Cause you're mine. Welcome to Hex Rated, where we four witches will take you on a magical journey through foul language and outrageous feminism. Plus, some witchy shit. What's going on, ladies? Oh, not a whole lot. I have to go back to work next week. And um, yeah, we just got told. That, so normally this time of uh, of the year, we're like doing all this professional development and um, all these different trainings and things like that. So we're still doing that. But get this. So I have to go to the school, be in my classroom on my computer, which is a laptop, I have it here with me right now, um, be on my laptop while my principal is in a different room in the school, like Zooming us all of the professional development that we could very easily all just be at home doing this. But they're making us go up to the school and sit in our classrooms on our computers and remote learn all of our- is- You could do that at home. That it's is the, the dumbest it thing. Is the fucking dumbest thing. Like when um, one of my friends who's a kindergarten teacher called me and because um, I'm the art teacher. So things get to me like last. Like I am the last in the building to know what is going on because I am the least relevant. But um, she called me and I was like, what is even the, the like the deal when we go back? How is that going to work? And she's like, oh, you don't know. Oh, let me tell you. And I was like, this is the stupidest thing. You must be joking. She's not joking. It's literally. And then I got an email about it shortly afterwards that that is what we're going to have to fucking do. It's crazy. Oh. I mean, everything's crazy. I'm so sorry. That sucks. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But I don't have COVID. Yeah, that's excellent. Lily was sick for a week and or more than that, and you got tested and it was taking a while to get back and we were all like on It was like eleven days or something. It was eleven days. It was crazy. Well, because I had a really, really sore throat and at first I thought and I don't really get sore throats that often, but at first I thought, Oh, this must be allergies or something and then I kind of talked myself into, Oh, it's better safe than sorry because then the girls, my daughters started coughing and they both had runny noses and then I started feeling worse. I, we never got fevers, but I just didn't feel good and I was like, Ugh I need to go get tested. Better safe than sorry. So I went to the care now and they tested me for strep and it wasn't strep. And um then so then they were like okay we're gonna give you a covid test and i was like well at least i'll know then you know definitively if it is or not instead of just like worrying about it instead i spent 11 extra days just fucking worrying about it like this test coming back it was going to be positive or negative so all in all yeah 11 days not leaving the house completely quarantined just in case so that's so stressful it was stressful and now I have to go back to work. Everything sucks. I mean, not everything. I should be very lucky for the blessings of my life. But uh, what's going on with y'all? Give me good news. I have a kitten. What? You have a cat? <laughs> so, but wait, you're allergic. Well, that's debatable. But 
two weeks ago, um, I found some kittens in my carriage house. Actually, my dog Herman found them. And, uh, yeah, so I found this, I found the first kitten and I looked back in the back and there was another one. Um, I crawled up in there behind like timbers and an old car and everything and got the third one. And we were worried that the mama cat had abandoned them or died, but we set out a humane trap overnight and caught her. And so we reunited kittens and mama cat and my dear friend who um volunteers for the spca and has fostered a number of very small kittens was watching over them they were estimated we took them to the vet um they all got dewormed and uh all of that business and given a clean bill of health and uh they were estimated to be about six weeks so she's held on to them for two and then Kitten came today because he's eight <gasps> weeks. He's, oh, no. There was two boys and a girl. And uh, so I named them all. I forgot what the inspiration was, but we named them all after monsters. So there's mm. a little black tabby called Manticore. And the little girl one who's kind of a pistol is Griffin. And the one that I took is Chimera. And he uh. I call him Miro. And he's like oh. a little calico tabby guy mm-hmm. but he's missing a back paw oh like, no. we didn't even notice until a few days in when we were bathing him so he's fine mm-hmm. like he's not you can't tell but so yeah he's in he's in the guest bathroom right now oh he's Aww. very chill and sweet i've never oh, had a cat so fun. as lily pointed out i used to be very very allergic and my allergies in general have kind of waned as I hmm. grew older. And uh, also, I was allergic to rabbits, and I had a rabbit for, like, 13 years. <laughs> so so once I have it in the house and I'm, like, interacting with it on the daily, my antihistamine system, I guess, is finally like, oh, well, it's fine now. So, yeah, I have a kitten. How's that for good oh. news? That is good news. How's Spitty Herms doing with it? He's very sweet. Um, he We introduced them earlier, which might have been a bad idea, but it actually ended up being completely fine. He was very, he's very, very gentle and patient with creatures that are smaller than he is. So mm. he, um, he just sat quietly, gave Kitty a, a wide berth, and... Uh, was was really wanting to get in there for a sniff, but was like very patient and gentle. Um, Kitten gave him a few hisses, but he was still like falling asleep in my lap, so he was clearly not that Aww. afraid. <laughs> he was kind of fine. That's so Aww. cute. So, yeah. Hopefully, they shall be the best of friends. When I got uh, my cat Winston, oh my gosh, like ten years ago. But when I got her, she was uh, eight weeks old. And um, my roommate at the time had a giant black dog. Her name was Novel. She's one of the greatest dogs ever. But um, she was huge. She was like part German Shepherd, part Black Lab. Giant black. She looked like a Grimm. She was great. But um, when we first brought Winston home when she was eight weeks old, we were so nervous. But Novel was like the like gentlest. And she just like adopted Winston as like her baby. 
and would not like let her out of her sight and was like always taking care of her and they were always cuddling oh it was so cute no yeah when i first brought all three kittens in from the carriage house and had them in the bathtub herman was like you know he's a little dachshund so he's on his hind legs like a little penguin peering <laughs> in and uh he, he was ready to be a daddy. He was a little Aww. confused because he did not remember hooking up with a kitty, but he's <laughs> not really sure how that stuff works. But yeah. But he's he, ready to accept the responsibility. He is ready to be a daddy. Yeah. No, baby Harms. Get them. That's so cute. That is good news. <laughs> what are we actually talking about today? Mm. Uh, the Dark Goddess. book part two because we did not finish talking about it last time we had a lot to say yeah we we got on that train and it just went full speed off the rails (laughs) we had a lot to say some of it had to do with the book a lot of it did not um (laughs) but as i mentioned last time i felt like that was kind of indicative of this process anytime you're doing any kind of work with the underworld or with the dark goddess it tends once you crack that door open like it all comes out you know so um and and i'll just say that up top i felt like this book was really worthwhile just because doing underworld work and working with the dark goddess is always worthwhile and whether the book i feel like has idiosyncrasies in terms of editing or structure or narrative voice is debatable but i would still recommend it because as we talked about last time we had tons and tons and tons to talk about really profound experiences so if reading this book is what gets you on board with going going down down deep in the underworld (laughs) then so be it so where do we want to start y'all well just just to do a recap in case you're hopping in this episode and you weren't on the last episode um the book we're talking about is journey to the dark goddess how to return to your soul by jane meredith and basically it's kind of a book that guides you through preparing um to descend and then the the descent and then ascending and like all the, the the working parts it's broken down into four parts of like this journey to the underworld and how to work with the dark goddess um so yeah just in case, just in case you're like, I'm dropping in in this episode, not going to listen to the last one. This is part two about this book. But as in part two, it's really like parts two, three, four, five, because we really only did part one last time, mm-hmm. um, where we talked about listening to the underworld. And then the next part of that uh, chapter was um honoring the dark goddess which was basically like building an honor building an altar or something like that which i think we are already had in various forms and um then the next chapter was about the actual descent and um there's a ritual called it's it's all called surrendering to your life and it involved saying yes do you guys want to talk a little bit about it's more of like a a list-making exercise than a ritual, per se, but... The say yes was, like, you go through and you list, like, all the positive events in your life. Um, and you do, like, a column, and you list all these events, and then on the other side, it's basically accepting that these were part of your life. And dis- the difficult 
there's also a section where you do all the difficult events, like, and these might be like a death in the family or losing your job or anything like that. And you also go through and you write yes next to these items as well, because you're, it's not accepting abuse. It's accepting that that was, that happened in your life and being able to move forward. I'll be honest. I didn't really get much out of this exercise and I'm the one that loves to make lists. I think I kind of sped through it because I was like, I don't really care for this. And it's not that, like, I can't accept. Like, I do accept that the things that happened in my life. But it's just, I don't know. I felt weird about this part in relation to the underworld, if that makes sense. Well, tell me a little bit more about that, Jay, because my criticism is mostly academic, like how it functions and if I thought that it was profound or not. And to me, it was just a list making exercise. But what made you feel uncomfortable? Like I felt uncomfortable because just saying yes, I felt like wasn't enough. Like like this exercise, yeah. I felt like wasn't really digging into the acceptance of just writing yes next to things. Like just I felt like the way it was going, I, I don't know. It just it. It felt like too small of an exercise and it, like, as you said, like list making like of it to really like break down like, okay, why are these the positives? Why are these the negative? Like and really get into like accepting of like, okay, does this make me who I am today? And like those kind of things of like if I really were. So I feel like surrendering to those things is I don't feel like it was helping me to surrender to those things, if that makes sense. Like I don't feel like I'm weighed down by them. But, like, saying, yet, like, just writing yes next to them and being like, yeah, like, that happened. It just, I don't know. It just didn't feel like, and maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I'm not doing the work I need to do on it. I don't know. Like. No, I, you said exactly what I was trying to figure out what I meant. Because <laughs> I 100% agree with you. It, it was that the things that I was able to list and put a yes to like I felt like I like the putting the yes next to it did not feel transformational it wasn't the satisfaction of scratching something on off on a list or it wasn't like a process of like forcing myself to write those three letters next to it and I think that if there were things that it would have been really transformational for me to acknowledge happened and are part of my story that I have been denying or compartmentalizing or like literally dissociating from or something obviously like in the context of just sitting down and making a list in your own head like that's something that people go through decades of therapy to get to so I think that for the action of simply saying yes is only going to feel super profound if it is a deeply deeply buried traumatic thing that you have spent a lifetime trying to not think about for whatever reason and and yeah. have hidden away where and so I just don't think that the average person reading this book like it's either stuff that you're perfectly ready to put on a list or it's something that probably requires professional help or like several years of really digging into those issues so to me it was very perfunctory it wasn't gonna that exercise in and of itself is not gonna dredge up that stuff that would benefit from this kind of exercise i just i don't know 
I agree with you. You said it. You said it better and shorter, so we can just cut that. But like, <laughs> no, it's it, it makes me feel better because I was like, because you had mentioned where you were like, did you do that? And I was like, I did, but I kind of like sped through it um, because, and it's not that I'm not willing to do the work. It's that writing, yes, is not. It's it's just not cutting down to the the wick of it to me, and. Yes. And because it's not approval of those things that have happened in life. It's supposed to be the acknowledgement of it. But I'm like, there is so much to unpack there. And I felt like the the last exercises we did where we did a, gr- a grid of past trauma and those kind of things, I felt like that was a lot more therapeutic for me than this yeah. exercise was. So this one yeah. was like my least favorite. <laughs> what about you, Lily? No, basically what y'all said. It just did not. It was very much skimming the surface and after coming off especially coming off of um the last one we did that was so profound it was just like kind of like okay here's some lists yes i guess yeah no i just i just agree (laughs) jay said something that i actually had a lot of notes on that comes up over and over in the next session which is literally the seven gate descent so it's patterned after the story of Inanna and there are seven gates and at each gate you give up something and in the ancient Sumerian story the guardians of these gates um you know Inanna's like what on earth I'm not gonna you know they're basically like stripping her and taking her possessions at each gate and she's like what is all this because she's the queen of heaven and you know they say the ways of the underworld are perfect and should not be questioned And she has to submit to that and swallow her pride and go through. And as a prideful, benevolent narcissist, that's clearly an exercise that that would be helpful to me in particular. But I take giant issue with, on behalf of most of humanity, at least everyone else I know, that has, particularly women or people that are minorities or marginalized groups that are constantly having to police things like anger pride um things that are used against them uh and are constantly feeling like they have to apologize or censor themselves i think that that is terrible fucking advice and i think this idea of surrender which is what i was hitting on because jay said surrender um i don't like it it would be good for me personally but i think that that's a very dangerous thing for other people to engage in because most people right now this minute this hour in their lives are sucking it up and and swallowing trauma to just go along to get along when really they should be pitching a fit about it that's this is kind of like a personal rant here but seeing those words just really threw me in like I, I wrote like an entire page of notes about this one like paragraph well and because I get that uh that does make sense and is understandable of like people that have already given up so much to like release all these things there there's a difficulty in that for people that have already sacrificed so much or already put in a position in the world I mean I'm a very fortunate person but you know, I, I live a life of privilege. I get that. And not everybody is in that position where it's just like, shit, you want to strip me of everything of like, I'm supposed to surrender everything of like, just it, 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 the language in it is a little, it is a little hard to swallow. 
like, I believe in being vulnerable with the dark goddess. I do believe in that. But I don't feel like I have to give everything up to be vulnerable, if that makes sense. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I wrote in, in my notes, I asked, like, what if instead of submitting to abuse or deprivation, uh, because she frames it as this, like, way of taking control, that by, like, consciously submitting to it, you're somehow at least in control of your consent, which I disagree with fundamentally. If someone is abusing you or depriving you of things that are important to you, you quote unquote, letting it happen is not consent. And um, so I was like, you know, just thought experiment. What if you did this ritual and instead of meekly bowing your head and being like yes the ways of the underworld are perfect and not to be questioned what if you like kicked and screamed and like tried to run past the guards and break down the gate like i don't know i feel like that would be extraordinarily transformative and 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 cathartic for a lot of people again not me personally i i need this shit but um but i think that that's why it's so obvious to me that it is playing on on people's inherent guilt of feeling like they're deprived or um disenfranchised through their own or or that it's inevitable like and and it, to me it's a very kind of like the idea of nirvana in in some buddhist schools of thought as being self-annihilation of basically just acceptance of everything and non-attachment which i fundamentally disagree with like i think that the purpose of existence in the mundane world is not to live as if you're not in the mundane world that these sensations and attachments are how we interface with the universe so trying to let go of these attachments or pretend that you're okay or that it's your choice to let these things happen to you and to try to turn the other cheek I think is an act actually avoiding that work and in some cases detrimental to people that that have been groomed to put up with this shit like obviously <laughs> she's she's talking about a ritual drama not like actually like letting loved ones take advantage of you but to me it's it's very parallel but i don't know did y'all have strong feelings about probably not as strong as me because i like am fully capable of ranting about this for longer but no i think that you brought up a lot of really good points that actually i was not articulating to myself because i've always um had kind of a issue with Anana's descent to the underworld, just like in general, it's not been a story that's ever resonated with me very strongly because I do have this sort of, um, when she does get stripped down of everything, there's a part of it, like when I read it, I'm, it seems I don't get why she goes to the underworld. And I know that in, this book she describes it oh as anonis hearing this call and that she has to go down there but it seems like a unnecessary journey like maybe i'm just not interpreting it right but i just don't understand why the journey is necessary for her i've heard 
the Inanna's Descent compared to um, childbirth a lot. And I've had that. I've listened to podcasts where in um, Inanna's Descent is compared to childbirth. And that uh, totally makes sense. But the thing about childbirth and is that you have to go through it. Like it's going to happen no matter what. It's not like you're hearing a call and you kind of make a choice. I mean, you make a choice to get pregnant um, sometimes. Um, but you make a choice um, theoretically to get pregnant and have a baby or two. <laughs> but um, so you have to go through the process of giving birth. And it is a lot like a honest descent to the underworld. And it is this stripping away. And it is this becoming vulnerable in order to become strong because like the birth but other than that in contexts in different contexts i just don't understand why she goes to the underworld to begin with i guess is my main point and to uh scarlet's point i feel like i'm not articulating this properly but it, it does beg the question i think is the whole idea of a descent to the underworld like this a um privilege and is that something that uh comes with a sort of a, a privilege and this i feel like i'm not articulating this right i feel like it's not coming out right i'll think on it more well, right i mean to descend you're making the assumption that you are not in the underworld figuratively or you know spiritually so, you know, if you are in the middle of it and you're you're living the underworld, uh, you probably don't have time for this kind of stuff. Like, to, yeah, to just to sit down and read a book. Yeah. Like I was talking last time about times we were unwillingly in the underworld. It's like, don't need to descend. Already have a lot of shit stripped from me right now. Um, I don't need to give up anything else. I don't think I can handle it. It will break me. Yeah, so it's very ceremonial and, like, the sacrifice, which I maybe it's also the Christian upbringing, too, of, like, sacrificing all these things and, like, that the terminology has a problem for me of, like, surrender and submission and, like, submitting yourself to these things that is a little triggering for me. Um, so, yes. I, I I get what you're saying, because um, like they 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 claim like in the book she says that all these things are to be are removed from you is are the things that are preventing you from descending and I I don't completely understand that because I don't feel like those things always like some of these things I think if anything I would be more armored to go to the underworld. Um, but it also, I think, depends on the story you're looking after. If you're looking to go this format then and following this storyline. But that's not my dark goddess shit. Um, right. So I don't... Morrigan does not roll that way. So Well, you have a lot to say about that. So I'm just going to say quickly that um, I didn't do the, the ritual as she wrote it. Um, and there are a couple reasons for that. But basically, just to outline it for everybody, it's... You act out that you're going to these seven gates um, and you can physically adorn yourself with things and you can have them be symbolic um, things that mean something to you and you physically take them off and everything. And and because of that dramatic element, I would like to wait to do this ritual like as a group. I think mm -hmm. that as a formal group ritual that it would have much more gravitas and feel 
much more interactive. I think that when you're part of a group acting out something and like physically walking across a room and you have people like handing you things or taking things off of you and whatever, um, it also loosens you up and to, to get into the spirit of of letting your imagination loose a little bit. So I think that that kind of takes it up a notch as opposed to just sort of thinking it through in your head. Um, but I did do the exercise of kind of trying to think what the things I would give up would be. And I did find that very valuable. Um, if I were going to be stripped of all the things that I think compose my personality, I'm not sure necessarily that I would or would not benefit from imagining or, or in a small moment feeling the reality of losing those things. But I do think it is worthwhile for anybody to, to really think about what are the things that I imagine or are in reality or whatever are the things that define me as a person, as an entity, as a soul that is incarnated in this body in this moment in time. So I did think that that was super helpful. But you actually did the descent today. <laughs> I did. And it can be, like, because she says, like, it can be the props, the support, status, images, self-beliefs, patterns of behavior, what or defenses, or whatever you hold most precious, or what makes you who you are. So, like, it can be, like, you know, uh, just that your in intellect, or it can be anything, really. It's just, what are these things that make you feel alive, really, or make you whole in life? And it can be both yeah. emotionally and physically. For me, the intelligence was the number one one on my list. Um, intellect, um, being able to express myself adequately, I feel like if I didn't have that, I would not feel like myself, and I would really feel... Like, I was not living fully or functioning correctly in my life. Like, that would be crippling. Like, I don't know if I could function like that. And so that was a big one. That was the number one one for me. And um, my second one was uh, um, attention and, and recognition and admiration. If I felt like I couldn't generate that not that not to actually have it but just the knowledge that I can generate it whenever I want would be very unme to feel like I didn't have that ability anymore and would be very devastating to me and I realized also that um financial security um I don't tend to think of myself as materialistic or um particularly practical or responsible in any way but uh to be financially stable to not be concerned about having to work a job that I hate or to be running the ground or to not have the free time to do the things I enjoy. Um, all of those things would drastically change my life. And I really take that for granted. And a lot of my identity is based on my ability to have that free time. And to not be exposed to those stressors. So that was kind of a big aha privilege moment for me. Um, because it sounds very shallow and materialistic. But, I don't think so. But, I mean, exactly. That was kind of the realization I came to. Is that, that that's a thing I take for granted. But um, in an ideal society, for people to flourish, having those basic necessities met is of paramount importance because you can't 
you can't be a creative, vibrant. Well, I mean, you can, you certainly can, but like, you can't be the most creative, vibrant um, person you could be if you are basically struggling to make ends meet at all times every day. You know, like, clearly people of genius manage to do it, but the point is that they shouldn't have to. They shouldn't have to. And in, in a perfect society, you know, everyone would have their basic needs met. Um, Blackbird actually did a a version of this ritual led by Jane Meredith at PantheaCon, and she talked about you know giving up her husband or you know like a lot of people the things on their list of seven are are people, and I found that honestly those things were difficult to give up but not impossible because I know that I already know that those things are an inevitability. You know, people around me are going to die or people around me are going to leave or be lost. So it's still devastating. But there's a part of me that knows that that's a possibility. And those people are not who define me. I mean, they're super important in my life, but I don't I don't build my identity around their being part of my life. You know what I mean? Which felt kind of cold. But in a way, it was almost an, a relief. Be, not a relief to imagine those people being gone, but a relief to know that if, that if and when that ever happens, once the, the pain of the moment is gone, there will be... Things will continue. I don't know. That was kind of relieving to, to imagine. Anyway, but that was all hypothetical. It's easy to make a list, but if I were actually acting out, I might feel extraordinarily different. <laughs> Did you make a list, Lily? Yes. So, um, so mine was being seen as like intelligent, um, being seen like being perceived as being like caring and nurturing, um, and then I kind of um, so then uh, I was thinking about things that. I build my identity around, and this might sound kind of silly, but consistently in my life, the only um, physical trait of mine that I have consistently, since I was little, always liked about myself are my eyes. My eyes are green, and I have always been very, like, um, attached to the color of my eyes and the shape of them, and I've always thought, even when I did not like myself the most, I've always thought, okay, well, at least my eyes are nice. And I've always gotten a lot of compliments on those. And um, so I think if my eye color ever changed or something happened to my eyes, it would it would be actually um, it, it would mean mean a lot to me, which is just kind of odd, I guess. I don't know. Um, I build my identity a lot around my family, which is different than Scarlet. I, my identity is all about um, the people around me. So all about like my parents and my uh siblings and like where and my family comes from like culturally and things like that and being italian-american um and to that end my name too i take like i didn't change my name when i got married my name is super important to me it is a lot of my identity is tied up in my last name in particular but my name in general 
my dad when I was growing up always and it's kind of funny because it affected me more than it affected my sister but growing up my dad was always like I won't say my last name because then you'll know who I am but he was always like this is our family this is our name um you know he would say you know in this family we don't do this and we don't do that and this is what we do and that's because you're part of this family and so my dad attached a lot of significance to our name growing up and so I always had a lot of pride in it and a lot of like um of my identity was wrapped up in it and it never even occurred to me to change my name when I got married it was just like why would I even do that and it never occurred to me to not give my children my last name because my girls have hyphenated names they are cursed for life but um it just never occurred to me because I have such strong uh feelings and such pride around my last name um and then uh one thing that I that I need that would be hard to not have, I guess, is um, emotional support. Because I have a hard time, uh, I need other people. Like when I'm feeling anxious or when I'm feeling depressed, I reach out and if there's no one to like, if I feel like I don't have anyone to reach out to, I end up like, on like subreddits like like children of dead parents or like grief support i end up on these like subreddits just like commenting on people's posts just like to get uh to have people to talk to and then i guess the last one would be uh being artistic and being creative so those are mine i think it's interesting to see the variety um and because like these lists can easily change to me like i think Maybe five years from now, I, the list will be different. And I know this list would have been different five years ago. Because um, I decided on my things today. <laughs> um, I woke up this morning. I was like, I'm going to descend. And it was the weirdest. And that's sometimes how my witchcraft is. Is It's just I wake up and then I'm like, this is it. This is right now is the time to do it. And this morning I woke up and I was just like, right now, this is, this is what we're doing. And so... Um, I thought of my seven things and then I gathered things to symbolize my seven things and I set up my altar. Um, I set out a few things for the Morgan cause she's my dark goddess. And then, um, I sprayed myself, um, with sage spray, um, and lit some incense and then did our usual, um, uh, grounding ritual of just like before me, beside me, before like all of that. And then I just, I, I decided, that for each gate, I would go in a circle around my altar for each gate Ooh, and take that one thing off when I, I I give it up. So that was uh, how I did it. It was very small circles because <laughs> I did it in my living room. I bet they felt really big, though, when you had to walk it. Oh, and then by the end, yeah, like the first one felt like forever. And then by the end, too, I was just like, where am I? <laughs> um, and I had a couch. Like, I did the altar next to the couch because, and I'm thankful I did. So I recommend, like, either have cushions or a chair or something because it is very heavy as you release these things. Um, I mean, it could be different for everybody. Some might feel lighter, but, like, the first two gates for me were the hardest and took the longest for me. 
I started out and you basically make your declaration of like why you're descending or, and it could be something super simple of like, I just want to meet a dark goddess or I, you know, of why you need to descend if you have a very specific reason. And I didn't really have a specific reason in my heart that I needed We're doing to- a podcast about yeah. this book. <laughs> yeah. Like I want to yeah. talk about this Jane Meredith book. Um, So I was just like, I seek the dark goddess to see what I need to see, to hear what I need to hear, to become what I need to be. Um, is just oh, what I, like I said, that. and because I was just like, keep it simple, that'll work. And then, at the first gate, I decided my first thing was my marriage, my partner, my life partner. He's more to me than just a husband. He's he was my friend for years before he was my husband. He runs through life with me, like my partner in crime. Like I, you know, I, it is my support system. He's my ride or die, and uh, I just, I knew that had to be my first thing, because I just, I love him so damn much. (laughs) And uh, I had our engagement ring that he had specially made for me. It was a vintage ring that him and his dad chose specific jewels to put in rubies and amethysts um, put in specifically for me. And it, it, I felt like it was the perfect symbol for our marriage because it's so well thought and so specially made. Um, and that gate was really the hardest. And l- letting that, like, taking that off and saying why, like, this, I'm, I'm handing over my marriage, my, my life, my love. Um, I had to, I had to sit down, and that one took me the longest because it. I just felt nauseous, I felt gutted, and I wanted to cry, but I couldn't cry once I set it down on the altar. I couldn't cry, but that one took me the longest. And then I went around again, and then I took off, uh, I have a lapis um, cuff, a lapis lazuli cuff that my father-in-law made me. It's beautiful, and I I decided that could be my loved ones. because it was made by a loved one. And that's like all encompassing. It's my friends, my witch sisters, my family, my fur babies, all of this ball of support and love and of like, it's not just about being loved, just putting my love into all of these things. Like that was my number two because I put so much emotion into the things that I love, the people that I love. And that would be the second hardest thing for me to give up. I mean, it was right there with with my husband, but uh, like those two things would be the two biggest sacrifices for me to make in my in my book. And that one I had to sit down again too, because I was just like, God damn. Because <laughs> um, I imagined with doing each one of what my life would be without those things. Like if I had to the rest of my life live without those things. And it was just... Like, just, uh, like, it was just heavy, and it was hard to keep moving in that circle. Um, So I took my time with each of those two. And then after those two, it was, I felt like, where it was like, fuck it. Uh, Might as well give up everything, um, is how I felt. But I, I really dug deep about, like, the things that make me who I am. And the third thing was um, my, my code, my my honor, my virtue. Um, and sometimes it can be a bad thing. It can, I can be a little self-righteous. I'm a Capricorn. Um, but 
I like I live by this code and and sometimes I can be an asshole about it, but like that is I, I love things like Captain America and the Musketeers and like you always do the right thing. And so I, I set my compass down for that. Ooh, that's a great symbol. I felt so different leave, leaving that behind because I think that is a lot of like a guiding thing of like of right and wrong. Um, you know, and that's why I decided to leave my compass. And then the next thing was being useful and needed. Like, it's like not specifically being needed. Like, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to make sure you need me in a manipulative way. But it's like, I, a lot of my self-approval of like feeling approved is by being useful. Like, I want to be helpful and I, I feel good if I'm helping people, if, you know, I go to an event for somebody, if I'm like, I want to be at work, or if I come over to somebody's house for a party, and what, I'm like, what can I do? Um, I realize that Capricorn. That's... <laughs> yes. <laughs> I realize that that's a big part of who I am, of that I get a lot of my self-approval from being useful. So I left my Swiss Army knife for that. Oh, perfect. It's a good one. And then my next one was actually the easiest. Um, but I mean, it was a little hard when I thought about what it means, but my success and my career, like my achievements, I look a lot of it, like I look at my career a lot as a legacy because I'm the third generation in what I do. So that was a little difficult, but it, after all of those other things, it was kind of like, well, I don't have family who gives a shit about my legacy. So I, and I left my grandmother's pearls for that because my grandmother started what I do for a living. And so I, I decided to leave those behind. My sixth thing was security, which is financial, home, like, like thinking really hard about it as a Capricorn too. Um, but it's, I think it is a normal thing of like knowing I have a roof above my head, knowing I have a bank account, knowing, and I get that that's a very privileged thing, but those are things that I think I take for granted that I, I value that I, I don't have to worry about and taking that away would be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Um, so I left a key for like my home, my security, my like knowing that I have these things, um, to fall back on. And the last, which is not the least, like, it's actually the most important thing. I really think that makes up who I am. I saved for last because she takes off her robe at the end and it's kind of like taking off her life. Like it's like giving up her life. I decided my empathy would be last because I feel like if you cut out my empathy and my heart, uh, that... I don't, I don't think I would be me. Like, I don't like, I, like out of all of those things, like, yes, I could lose my husband. I could lose my friends, but I would still have my fucking heart and my empathy. Even if I was super bitter about losing those people, I think I would still be myself. I would still be Jay. But if you took out my empathy and my heart and that the way that I am of just that I just ugh, like get down to it, that, that I might as well be dead. So I left that for last night, took off my robe. And oh, it was just like this weird, it wasn't numb. It was just like, just the emptiness. And I just, I laid down on the couch and just curled up in a ball. Um, so I definitely recommend having a space to curl up all comfortable and just take some time because it is picturing losing all these things and also like realizing which things are heavier than others? Like, which things you value more than others? 
like that is also a self-exercise in itself of like well i guess i didn't realize how little my career meant to me or these things once you had to give it up like doing it beforehand you're like oh this is important and then afterwards you're like oh actually it's really not that important um of giving those things up so it was it was interesting it was a good exercise in a way but again i totally get you on like you don't have to give everything up to go to the underworld like that is not a requirement it was it was interesting so and i thought i would do it like i thought it would be a really long thing but really i spent Probably the first hour was the descending and just being kind of numb and s- sitting there. Um, and then I was going to like, l- like, sort. you can do this exercise and you can make it several days. So, by the way, in the book, this is not a, like, you don't have to do this all in one chunk. You can stay in the underworld. You just, you finish the ritual somehow by like blowing out a candle or doing something ceremonial to let yourself know like, yo, I'm still in the underworld, but this part of the ritual is done. I got to get some chores done or whatever. Um, but you're still going to be in the underworld and you're still going to have to do the other parts. Um, and I thought that's what I was going to do because I was like, I can do the podcast in the underworld. It'll be fine. That did not happen. <laughs> so Morgan was like, I'm not having this shit. <laughs> so <laughs> Morgan showed up and was like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was I do like, everything times three. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so she showed up and I was like, she's like, what are you doing? She was like, you don't. I don't need all this production. She's like, I don't need this song and dance. I need your action. I need results. And you're not getting me fucking results sitting here on a meat hook. You think I'm going to let her, like, uh, Eshigal, like, deal with you? No. Get back to fucking work. Is basically, she said it more poetically than I'm putting it, but I was just like, okay. It ended up getting cut a little short, but it was also very therapeutic to talk to her about it, too, because she was just like, yo... All of that shit of your past, I was there. Like, all of those past events, when you said enough in your abusive relationship, I was your bite then, biting him back. When you lost your father and you had to pick up and keep your mom moving, I was your fucking steal. Like, I've always been there. So you don't have to do all this. You have never been alone. I have always been there. And she was just like, hey... I'm I, gonna cry. I'm gonna cry. You're making and, me cry. Oh my god. And Holy she was just like, cow. yo, you don't have to come down here for me to be with you. I have always been with you. I will come to you when I fucking say so. You don't have to come down here. Like, that's not how this works. Get back to work. And I was like, oh shit, okay. So, whew, it was... It was it was really good in a, in the relationship that I had of with Morgan to hear that from her of just like look I'm always gonna be there sometimes whether you like it or not I am gonna be there and but she was also kind of like yo this this is not my thing this is that this is not my story this is not how how you come to the underworld for me like I don't give a shit about all this um, she was just like her underworld is the battlefield yeah. Mm. And she was like, get back to work. She was like, you're no good to me hanging dead on a meat hook. I need you on the battlefield. I need you working through your shit, fighting your demons. I need you just to show the fuck up. So get off, get off this meat hook and go back to work. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So 
I was just like, oh shit. So it did not go to the storyline of the book necessarily, but I think it was the Dark Goddess uh, journey that I needed to have. And so like, I was like, well, I feel weird doing the mirror exercise now because that was basically my listening exercise with her showing up and just being like, yo, <laughs> like, I, like, you don't have to just listen. I'm going to tell, like, I'm going to show the fuck up. Like, I'm not going to be in your ear. I'm going to be in your face. And I was like, oh okay. <laughs> so That's I tried amazing. to do the mirror thing, but she was just like, no, we're done. We're done. And like, <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. We already cool. had our chat. Yeah. <laughs> My word bucket is empty. You're not phoning me right now. We're we're good. And I was like, oh, okay. And so that's I just I decided I was like, I gotta ascend because she was just like, this shit, this shit's done. And I was like, okay. So I did the ascent and which I went in the opposite direction of the circle I did. Um and and then I picked up each thing and accepting each thing back. In the reverse order, of course. Um so whatever was the last thing you gave up, it's the first thing you take back. And as I took back these things, it just, they felt wholly different. And, but they also, I felt super refreshed and like, like, oh, like these things, like I was like jubilant almost uh, in these things to pick them back up. And I didn't feel like alone and um, cold because like the empathy and things like that of just like having, it wasn't really cold. It was just like, just not, not taking things in uh, basically. And so, like, having all of that flood back was, like, this weird, like, flood of emotion and feeling and all of that. And it just, it, and then it put me in a good good mood the rest of the day, which is, like, I think an opposite thing for some people in Underworld. Because it can be a very dark experience. But for me, I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay. Well. Um, I felt very excited because it just, it more instilled in me the the reason I'm working with the Morrigan and that I don't have to like do a song and dance for her. She's just going to be like, that's that we, we don't have to have a whole thing. Like you don't have to like give up all these things. That's not how we work. Um, you might need some of these things. I might make you call on some of these things in your life to use for me. So don't be shedding these things. Let's look at how you use them. And so that was my lesson with the underworld basically so sorry for the long spiel but not no, sorry no <laughs> you had me wrapped with attention wow like all your symbols were great i mean i feel like you really dug deep all the things that you listed i was like yeah that's that's who she is for sure and the morgan i mean that that sounds exactly how she sounds <laughs> And I mean, you did the fucking work, man. Like, and I love that it felt jubilant when you came back up. And I love yeah. the practical advice of having somewhere to sit <laughs> or lay down. That That's a good note. Um, yeah. Wow. Oh. And that was all totally on a whim that you just oh, did yeah. it this morning. That's crazy. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Uh, huh. it was, it was wow. good. It was good. Uh, I'm really glad I did it. Um, I don't, like I said, uh, now like with Morgan, I don't think I need to shed those things. And like we talked about, like the underworld, like taking that under can be different for everybody. And I think I would readjust it. Cause like now I'm like, 
I didn't need to give up those things, but it might also help you maybe kind of analyze like what makes me who I am. And then when you take some of those things back, be like, ah, maybe this isn't as much part of me as I thought, you know? So if you like the exercise of that, it could be useful. Yeah, I think definitely, at least as a thought experiment, it's good to think about like just metaphysically or egotistically, like what makes you and, and how you would be if you didn't have those things anymore. Not that you need to learn to be detached from those things or you need to train yourself to be able to give them up, but just to just as a thought experiment. But I love everything about that. What about y'all? Did y'all do the other? um, I think we talked about it that y'all were going to do basically a listening and mirror uh, gazing exercise. Do y'all want to talk about that? Yeah, Um, I I did the listening to the dark goddess. So like I said, I, I took notes and, and imagined walking through the descent, but I didn't actually like get up and act it out and do it with the full force of, of really trying to emotionally feel the gravity of those things. But, um, I did the, uh, listening to the dark goddess and, uh, it was, different than normally when I journey and I go to the underworld and I talk to the dark goddess and um, I decided I had a seven inch black candle that I had gotten as part of a set and I was like I'm going to do this entire ritual for the length of time that it's going to take this candle to burn out and Mm. that is that is a huge commitment to me because I am totally ADD and so um I uh, I was going to make myself uh, a cup of steamed milk and tea and with like rose water and pink Himalayan salt. And uh, I was like, you know what? I need to go pour this out. So I went to the corner where the stop sign is on my property and I poured it out as an offering. And that's a four way crossroad. And with it, I drew a, a three way crossroad on the telephone pole because like the three way crossroad is Hecate's thing. So kind of uniting all those liminal spaces. And so then I decided to, um, I burned some incense and I was, I dressed the candle, um, with this oil from, uh, my very favorite incense maker, um, strange fire infumery. Um, but it's called oblivion. It smells fucking amazing. I was like, go to the underworld. Let's do oblivion. Fuck it. Why not? So, um, and I get in the bathtub and I turn off all the lights and I light this candle I'm like, I'm going to stay here till that candle goes out. And so um, I start counting down like I normally do. And right off the bat, my breath was like deeper than it's ever been. And I'm asthmatic. <laughs> so normally I do like four breaths in, hold it, four breaths out, hold it for four and keep going. And I was doing like eight or nine. Like it was like the deepest, slowest, most unforced breathing I've ever done in my life. And, but at the same time, my heart was racing. Like I could hear it pounding in my ears. And so I imagine I'm going down my well and it turns on its side. And now I'm like sort of sailing down it. And there are dogs on the shores and I smell like earth and incense and overripe fruit and like stale wine. And then it's just quiet for like a really, really long time. And, of course, I start getting really antsy. I'm, like, too hot. And the candle's too bright. And I'm bored. And, you know, I'm, like, pressing my face against 
the cast iron of the tub. And then finally, I basically turn over and sort of kneel. So it's like a cast iron coffee tub, and so the back of it sort of slopes. So I rest my, my arms and my head against it, sort of like I'm kneeling a little bit. And, you know, I'm feeling the water drip down from my hair, and it's, it's running down my back, and it's coming down my face and off my eyelids, and it feels kind of great, and just sort of focusing on that sensation. And then all of a sudden, fucking spiders! Everything is spiders. <laughs> I cannot explain to you how arachnophobic I am. Like talking about this is going to make me almost throw up in my mouth. Like, oh, my God. So all those gorgeous little sensations of like warm water and the cool air of my skin. Like it's all fucking spiders. Spiders are running down my back. Spiders are running down my face into my nose and on my mouth. Like I'm like, oh, my God. And I know that it's not real, but like, I'm like seriously freaking out because I'm like, I'm going to have nightmares about this for the rest of my life. Like, I am not kidding you when I say that, like the times that I have like seen spiders or like accidentally seen pictures of them or whatever, or had visions, other visions that involve spiders. Like, like I'm seriously like gagging like dry heaving right now describing it like it is deeply upsetting to me but i'm like i just like kind of try to dig deep and i'm like i've i've seen all those things before either in my mind or in reality i didn't die so i didn't go crazy so i just have to like just sit there and like let it happen because this is what i told myself i was gonna sign up for and sit there until the candle burns (laughs) out Oh my god, like, it sounds really silly, but, like, I was freaking out, like, oh my god, I'm seriously gonna throw up, um, but anyway. (laughs) Like, the Uh, underworld is being unsettling. Oh my god, fucking spiders. Um, so after a long time, Nephthys comes, and I just feel so relieved. And then, um, Kebichet. Kebethet is uh, there. She's she's this goddess that um, is a jackal goddess. She's the daughter of Anubis and or Enpu, his Egyptian name, and um, and uh, Enpet, who's basically like just Enput is like the female version of Anubis's name, and so she's like kind of clearly like came about after his mythology developed, so that they could just have like a nice clean pair. And uh, so she shows up and I've actually never met her or interacted with her and she's great. Like she, but interestingly, and I didn't realize this until after is she was wielding knives, um, like uh, mortician's knives to clean the body. And she has this like very distinctive headdress. And I realized that those two attributes are actually inputs attributes. And I think that what kind of happened is, both of these goddesses sort of came about after Anubis as sort of counterparts or partners for him. And I think that because they were, they're goddesses in their own right, but they're sort of minor or sort of secondary. So it seems like the most significant elements of these two very similar goddesses, like were the ones that sort of blurred together and stayed. So the very distinctive headdress and like the very specific like surgical knives and then the name 
because Enput is just the female version of Anubis's name, but Kebetet is this beautiful name that means cooling waters. So her mm. name stayed because it's very beautiful and unique. So they kind of merged together. But she's she was um very uh she was super slender, like almost cartoonishly so. And out of nowhere, I was like, oh my god, you're like, and she's got these knives, and I'm like, oh my god, Johnny the homicidal maniac, which is like this cult goth comic from the 90s and of course she thinks that's hilarious is delighted and like puts on like puts on this cheshire cat smile with like fangs and she's like oh i guess you know like she's she's very um cheeky you know and so um she's got these knives and i should be like kind of scared of her really but um she doesn't she brandishes the knives it doesn't like strike to cut me and i had this other vision like forever ago of being flayed by um, this owl spirit. Uh, w- one of the first times I journeyed to the underworld. And she was like, you did it. <laughs> and then I had a, a second vision on one uh, Halloween of meeting with Anubis and Nephthys. And they like laid me on an embalming table. And they poured this liquid down my throat. And I thought it was embalming fluid. But it was actually the waters of the nun. And in uh, Egyptian mythology, the Nu or the Nun is the ancient primordial abyss. So what was the nothing that was there before there were things? And she was like, and you did that. So you're off the hook this time. But then she's like, oh, wait, hold on. And puts a slit, like a microscopic slit at my third eye and then over my heart. And I felt like those places were open. And I thought about how when they prepare mummies the Egyptians didn't have any reverence for the brain as an organ. Um, They just threw it away. They didn't preserve it. Um, They thought that the seat of the soul and thought and emotions and consciousness was in the heart. So I tried to think about that, um, of this idea of like, because what they would literally do is put a rod up the nasal cavity and scramble around the brain and let it drain out to to um prepare the body for mummification um the other organs that they thought were important they would they would take out and preserve individually and put in their own jars um so so i tried to really think about what it would be like to to not think intellectually from my brain and think and feel through my heart um and then uh nephthys uh you know she's her eyes are twinkling with stars and I, I think about I mean, she's like you know divinely beautiful like completely otherworldly like too perfect to be human and I fall through those eyes and I see Nuit or Nuit her mother the goddess of the sky and she's even more abstract and huge but but still comforting you know and then the the blue black of the infinite space universe gives way to just this black nothingness and that is new or none and but interestingly that too it was you know it was strange and unknowable but it wasn't like agoraphobic or chaotic and it was empty but it still felt solid like it was like embracing me and so it was like vast and infinite but like tangible and comforting and then I had to wait for that candle to burn out 
for a really long time. So I just kind of had to sit there with that, like, nothingness feeling, which is very, very hard for me. Um, but I did it. <laughs> and I'm glad I did it. Like, like trying, like, trying to make peace with that nothingness, that, like, zen moment of, like, when your thoughts stop or... Because I constantly have a narrative. Like, when I'm just sitting, like, passing time and I'm bored, I'll, like, be giving imaginary TED Talks in my head, like, constantly. Like, I just can't shut up. So... <laughs> So that exercise of doing that is like really profound for me and is, is a, a deep altered state and and is very much not myself, which I think is, is an interesting practice. So anyway, um, it was a little bit different and more intense than normally when I visit the Dark Goddess, but it was, I think, would be very different if I had done the Ascent and then spoke to the Dark Goddess. I think that that would be in a much different context. So I'd still like to do that, but that was my experience of just, um, since I was in the middle of the book and had that on my mind and the descent on my mind, I think that that definitely gave my experience, um, a very particular flavor that isn't what I normally get. Do you feel like the, like part of the message was patience though, of like being oh, able definitely. to be still like, yeah, like that sure. was a message in itself because it, it, yeah. it is hard. <laughs> Well, we talked about it last time because that w my listening to the underworld was very much about that as well. So, um, yeah, I think that that would and, and fortunately, like, despite being like super antsy and liking to do like 10 things at once and not liking to wait or sit still or not think or any of those things, um, I am very good about sticking to my commitments <laughs> So my pride of being like, I said I was going to wait until this candle burned down. Like, so, so I do have it within me to do these things that I think are not my nature and to draw on things that I think are definitely my nature um, and skills that are completely unrelated to patience, you know, like pride and like showing off and like, you know, just being stubborn, I think are kind of the opposite of patience. But those were the things that actually kind of helped me with this exercise. So, um, I think it's definitely not like a one and done sort of thing. It, it's probably going to be a practice or a message. I keep getting over and over and over these moments of, of stillness, um, trying to, trying to hold on to those, but like, I don't, I don't think I need to be like that all the time, but I think being able to move back and forth is a skill that is worth pursuing. What about you, Lily? Did you do the listening to the Dark Goddess? Um, no, I tried it. I think that being sick the last couple weeks and just like in general feeling uh, just anxious and sad, I just don't think I was in like a, a place to do it. So it didn't really, not much came of it. And I did the looking in the mirror as well, and a little bit more came of that, but still just not much. I just don't know if I'm, maybe I need the structure of the descent, um, but no, I just haven't been in the right place for it. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a definitely a different experience doing the listening and the mirror gazing exercises without the descent. I, I think they're both still very valid, because uh, like... Like we talk about, we talk with dark goddesses as it is, or gods or uh, ancestors. Like we all have our own like pathways of communication as it is. So 
it's not like we have to have this this line by doing the full descent it's just it is a practice of like doing that storyline for a ritual purpose um so i think it's still valid absolutely um because you run the shit as a witch but yeah i can see how like maybe a being sick and b like getting into it um getting into it helps to an extent um depending on what you're needing from it too so scarlet did you do the mirror exercise yeah i did it a little bit and she i kind of got caught up in because she talks about gazing in the mirror and like really trying to see the goddess's face and of course like as a portrait artist like i got super literal with that um because Two months ago when we started reading the book to prepare for the podcast, I started working on a bunch of devotional art for Nephthys. So I was like really trying to like literally draw like what her face would look like. And, you know, as I said before, like she's she's like otherworldly, like she's divine. So she's like more impossibly beautiful and graceful than a normal human. So trying to draw a portrait, it's very difficult. And then in the past couple of weeks, um, I've been trying to work on Ereshkigal, which has been really hard um, because her features are very strong. Um, but when you draw them on paper, they look like very like boxy and I don't know, not ugly, but like now we, I don't know, like it just doesn't. I don't know. There's something missing. So I'm, I'm working on that. But anyway, <laughs> so so my experience with that ritual is to just like get super literal with it and start drawing, which has been really fun. Hopefully I'll finish all these projects and like have something to show for it. Yeah. I did not do any of the art exercises in the book. Oh, my God. No. Um, this was the only one I got artsy on because she like talks about doing like mandalas and like collages. And it just felt like macaroni art to me because <laughs> she talks about making the map and like, you know, so you can get down there and get back and all that. And um, in, if you need that, totally, totally do it. But that for me was not something I felt drawn to do. Yeah, I, I didn't get around to doing any of the art, but I definitely liked what I got out of doing the exercises. Um, so I would definitely like, like the book is worth the read just for some of these exercises. But yeah, I think you can also make it your own for sure. Like I think each of us have done that in our own right. Oh, definitely. And, and even if you try to like follow it faithfully as written, it's going to go completely off the rails and be your own thing, whether you intend for it to be or not. Um, I actually started reading her other book um, that came out after Aspecting the Goddess. And I actually think that it's a superior book in a lot of ways. Although I would argue that there's like a lot of issues with editing and the structure and sort of the direction of it. But basically she outlines like several different... It's not actually just about Aspecting the Goddess. It's about... Um, she describes like five different ways to interact with her and um so one of them would be aspecting her um but one is walking with the first one's walking with the goddess like just sort of inviting her to be with you for a few moments and um but one of the ones this is sort of a tangent but i really liked and i thought was um really springboards off of what she's talking about in journey to the dark goddess is she talks about um enacting the goddess 
And I thought that this was going to be like my least favorite one because she's basically like act out a myth. And I've been to rituals where people did like a dramatic play and it's always fucking terrible because no one is no one's a professional actor. The costumes are like disposable Halloween quality. The sets, if there are any, are like also like crude and like child level skill and so it's it's painful and boring to watch I'm sure the people doing it are not enjoying themselves because they're like shy awkward people that are like stressing out about delivering their lines that's not what she's talking about this is like not for an audience she talks about you know pick a myth like she talks about one that they did was um, Artemis and Acteon, where he like inadvertently gazes on her bathing and she turns him into a stag and then his own hounds turn on him and devour him. And she's like, this was actually a myth that like really bothered me. Like, I didn't really get it. Like, it's so cruel and like, I don't like, it's just weird. It's a weird story. And so they, she suggests like acting it out, like rapid fire. Like she's saying they did it like nine times or 12 times in a row. And, which I think is great advice because if you just do it multiple times, then people are less like precious about trying to like do a performance or say the right thing. And the other suggestion she had was to just do it non-verbally, which I think also takes a lot of that pressure off. And she's she her experience of doing these non-verbally, just like acting them out, one, they're different every time and they would switch parts too. But she was like, it really helps you understand it, especially things that you like didn't get or you thought were weird or didn't make any sense. Like when you actually like act it out really quick, you realize things about it. Um, And she was also saying like, especially doing it non-verbally, but just acting it out in general is very um, primal. She's like, I feel like I I was really getting to the heart of like the prehistorical origins of these myths because it is such like a primal way of communicating and way of experiencing things. So, um, I just, that really spoke to me out of everything else in the book. And obviously like I could do a whole episode just talking about this other book, but, um, I feel like that is great advice for doing this descent as a group ritual. Um, and she talked, that was the other thing that I really enjoyed about journey to the dark goddess is she, she'll intersperse a lot of personal anecdotes or, anecdotes about people she's interacted with that did this ritual and and those to me are really compelling and beautiful and feel like very sincere and genuine experiences and I really I think that this process is probably best done like in a group obviously Jay like you know knocked it out of the park with her awesome uh experience uh that she threw together this morning but I think that doing it as a group doing it as a drama where you're physically taking things on and off. You have people acting out these parts. Like you're really put on the spot to just, instead of think, do just physically do it. And people, and and she talks about people having very like physical reactions of like almost fainting or like needing to be carried away so that the next person can do it, you know, things like that. And, um, I think that that, that helps, uh, that would certainly help me get away from that like running commentary of like editorializing everything and to just feel and do instead of like think and analyze. 
So um, I think my final thought on the book would really just be that, like, I really want to do this as, like, a big, big ceremony with everybody. I think it'd be fun. Well, I mean, not fun, but, like, good. <laughs> Gosh, we haven't done a ritual together in a long time now because of coronavirus. Yeah. Well, today is uh, Lunasa. Today is, yes. Well, I usually celebrate it on the 2nd or 5th, but yeah, today is the 1st that we're recording. This will hit your ears later. Yeah, that's true. I always think, Scarlett, of that blog post you did a few years ago about um, how Lunasa in Texas is much different because it's not harvesty. Yeah. At all here. <laughs> yeah, it's wow. Like, hot. Descent to the Underworld is very much more in tune with our climate right now uh, in Texas. Because I guess for a lot of people, it would be a very wintry thing. But for us, it's like this oppressive, like hellish, like barren landscape. The oppressive heat. Winter's a relief here. Yeah, for real. Do you have any thoughts about the book, Lily? Like overall, final notes? Nah, y'all basically covered it. I think, yeah, definitely, definitely worth exercises. Putting together a ritual, it gives some like awesome, awesome ideas. Um of ways to throw together a pretty cool ritual but make it your own that that's yeah. all i have to mm-hmm. say or your goddess yeah. might make you make it your own who yeah. knows dark goddess shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh um random note uh we had uh, a conversation in the forum our uh uncoven facebook group uh about demons and someone suggested i get to know stolas which i did and it was delightful Ooh. so as i am about to plug our newsletter which you should sign up for i will i will put my write-up of that experience in the newsletter so you should definitely sign up and check that out um you can also email us at hexratedpodcast at gmail.com we're on Instagram at HexRatedWitches and our website, HexRatedPodcast.com, where you can find all of our episodes and also all of our past newsletter issues. And you can also join the conversation and join our Facebook group. If you read the book, let us know your thoughts, what yeah. you think, if you agree with us, if you disagree with us. Um, or if you haven't read the book, but you've done oh, a similar yeah. ritual or something. Yeah. Or if you do any of these exercises, definitely interested to hear um, y'all's thoughts feelings those kind of things so we're here we're witchy we're around i love you ladies i love you too (laughs) and on that note hocus Hocus, pocus pocus, bitches. bitches